folks, and welcome back to the Anti-Diet Club podcast. Before we get going with this week's episode, I, Gillian, am excited to let you know that for the first time this year, I've opened doors to the Anti-Diet Club Food and Body Freedom Group Coaching Program. So for those of you that are unaware of what this program is, it's an immersive eight-week program for those folks who are looking to heal their relationship with food and find peace in their body. It's a program that I've run maybe about seven or eight times now. I ran it four times last year, have not run it so far this year, but plan on um, starting the next cohort in September, Tuesday, the 6th of September for eight weeks. This program is really open to anyone, anywhere in the world um, who are on their food and body healing journey. But I found this program to be particularly useful for those who kind of intellectually get this whole idea of intuitive eating and body acceptance, have a curiosity around it, feel like maybe this is actually what might help you feel better in your body and your relationship with food. But you have a hard time having it sink into your bones and really feel it and live it. So this eight-week container is going to be involving yourself in an intentional process of doing the work. And what better time than to do it in September and to do it in a group. So um, there are a few places left. If you're interested in joining, go to my website, which is www.jillianmccollum.com forward slash group dash coaching. Um, there should be a pop up as soon as you get onto my website. There's also a link in the show notes. If you have any questions, um, send me a message either through the podcast or on Instagram. And I hope to see you there. And on with this week's episode. Hi, and welcome back to the Anti-Diet Club podcast. We are a show for those looking to heal their relationship with food and their body. I'm one of your hosts, Gillian McCollum. And I'm Tamsin Broster. We're both anti-diet coaches on a mission to disrupt diet culture. And with this podcast, you can expect fortnightly episodes around topics such as body acceptance, intuitive eating, and dismantling anti-fat bias. We share a lot of our own experiences and insights to help you discover a life outside of dieting. We also have some great guests on too. And you can follow us on Instagram at the Anti-Diet Club podcast, and you can find details of how to work with both of us in each of the show notes. All right. Well, this week, we're super excited to bring a client of mine, um, a past client onto the podcast to talk about their own real life story, right? Sometimes I think, Tamsin, that you and I are um, so many years into our journey that I often worry that I, um, that we become a bit unrelatable because we, you know, now help people around this stuff. But when you are so freshly in the thick of it, um, or are still very heavily in process of this kind of stuff in recovery. Um, I think it's um, it's a different energy. It's a different, people speak about it in a much more kind of visceral way. Um, so that's what we are hoping when we get guests onto the podcast, that um, our listeners will feel a bit of um, alignment with their stories and a bit of, um, you know, feeling like, yeah, this is this is where I'm at. 
Yeah, agreed. I think this is this is the purpose of our podcast is to make sure that we are connecting with people who are at all stages of this journey and this work. Um, some people will be very new to it. And it's always helpful. I think it helped me when I heard somebody talking about their own journey through diet culture and everything that it had to kind of offer. And I didn't feel so alone and I didn't feel so much of a failure because it just really, really helped. And I think um, bringing in other people, which is what we always wanted to do. We didn't want it just to be our stories. To be, we always wanted to bring in um, other people and other people's experience. And that was the purpose of season three is to really focus on that. So uh, yeah, brilliant to have um, Karen on the podcast this week. And um, yeah, her journey is so interesting. And I, and I know it's going to resonate with so many people. Awesome. Let's head over to the conversation. So welcome back to the Antidote Club podcast. We are here today with Karen Murray, who is a client of um, Gillian's and they have been working together. And Karen has kindly offered to share her food and body freedom story with us. Um, so Karen, do you want to introduce yourself and maybe just let us know where you want to start off with your story and what you want to share? Yes, of course. So I am Karen Murray. As I say, I now live in the lovely Scottish borders and I found you guys podcast probably at the the start of the year. And it's changed my life so much that I thought that I would like to then share my story to help really to help others. Because if one single person in the whole world can get any kind of freedom from listening to this podcast, then my work will have been done on this planet because I genuinely feel like that so I was I was trying to think about you know where all of this started and I think as I, I was looking at photographs of me when I was a small child and when I was quite wee I was just you know normal size and normal and nothing different you know I was born in 69 so I grew up in the six in the 70s I had my you know earlier years and then um, I wouldn't say I was I was certainly not big I wasn't I didn't have any body issues I don't think at all at that point And I think life was pretty normal. And then I was trying to identify what happened. And I wonder whether when I was about 12 and my brother was about 10, my mum went back to work. And I don't know whether that was perhaps significant because when my mum went back to work, she was obviously a bit more stressed and she definitely at that point put on weight. And I wonder whether that's when the whole dieting thing perhaps started um, and my my dad had has always had an on off relationship with dieting. Um, he was in nine, you know in his school photographs in the sort of nineteen forties fifties. Dad was the fat kid in a you know in fifty kids there was the fat kid and that was my dad and he was teased mercilessly at school for it. And so he was kind of always had a very a very hard relationship with food. Um, and dieting and he was either very very skinny or very very fat and everything in between so there was kind of all the, always the dieting stuff going on in the house so I was very aware of that and then obviously in 1980 I was 11 and in 1990 I was 21 so during that 10 years really um, the 1980s happened to all of us avocados were banned Nobody ate full fat milk. Nobody <laughs> ate butter. Gold appeared. Milk that looked blue appeared. Um, you know, all of a sudden cheese was low fat. Yogurt was low fat. Nothing had any flavor. So yeah, so that that happened, and I was very very aware of that, obviously. 
Um, so, and then I was thinking, so I think when I was about 17, I met my husband. And by that, I actually remembered that at that point when I met my husband, actually I've known him since we were two, but that's another story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when we started going out, I was already taking Modifast, which was the precursor of the Cambridge diet, which is the precursor of Slimfast. Mm-hmm. Wow. So by the time I was 17, I was already taking, you know, meal replacement type stuff um which actually I didn't take because they were so disgusting I thought what's the point of actually eating those at all I'd be better not eating anything I was just gonna ask like so just I just want to look because I love that like little trip down memory lane about the low fat era because that is you know a lot of our experience um but just to touch on what you were saying there that you know when you met your husband uh, you were already in that zone of taking this modifast and you know the um precursor to Cambridge diet which many people will be familiar with but what was the catalyst to you starting that do you remember was there something that you know did you suddenly I I can't really remember I think I think it was just I was always bigger than the popular girls you know I was never I was never really 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 fat at school not not by a country mile but I was always bigger than everyone else. And I was always, I mean, I look at photographs of me at school when everyone's having fun and we've got sort of group photographs and I'm very, very, you know, I'm like very, very tense and very, very, you know, I'm not enjoying this. I, do, I hate having my photograph taken, you know, I, um, what if my hair is a mess? Cause my hair has to be perfect because I'm fat, you know, and, and there was already all that stuff going on. And I think it was pro, I don't think I was actually fat at that point. Mm. Mm-hmm. But, but, but I was already into the disordered eating by the time I was sort of 17. And I think that was probably the start of real disordered eating, which, again, you've got a higher BMI. Nobody actually cares that you've got an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. They all they would only think that if you were very, very slim. So and then I went to we went to university and a group of everybody. I did pharmacy and everybody in um, our your your um, friends all have the same name as you because you're all in alphabetical order but anyway I had a group of girlfriends four girlfriends and not a single one of them was anything other than unbelievably slim you know into you know really 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 slim and I wasn't I mean and I was just literally stuck out like a sore thumb and these and these people they eat normally you know they ate breakfast and then they went for a scone and then they had lunch and then they had um went out in the afternoon and they had a bag of crisps with a pint of beer and I would be having in that entire time I would have an apple and a a gin and slimline tonic you know and that was Mm -hmm. my you know and they were all eating and eating and eating and eating and eating and I was fat and not eating literally at all um, and that's really probably when I start bulimia started because I started trying to be more normal with food. But by being normal with food, I was just getting bigger. And therefore, that's when, as I say, bulimia kicked off big style. Yeah. Um, and then my husband, we, my husband and I were living together by the time we were 18. So my husband soon put, my husband soon put a stop to that very, very quickly. And of course, because of that, which was probably great but then I just got I had a year at university probably my last year at university where I really 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 put on a lot of weight very very quickly um and then um and then we went to we got married straight after university so literally I graduated in the June got married in the August 
And before my wedding, again, I was laughing to myself when I was thinking about this, what I was going to say for this podcast. But yeah, other people, other people get married and they're like, oh my God, the weight just fell off. Oh, I had to have my wedding dress taken in and blah, blah, blah. Not me. Not in a million years. I was literally, you know, I came off the end of university and I was fat. And if I had done nothing, 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 I would have been very fat when I got married. But again, you know, we all have lived through this. Oh, you know, you don't want to be fat in your wedding photographs because you will regret that for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course... Is that what people were saying to you? Was that the message yeah, that was coming yeah, across? Yeah, very much. I think that was a the message that was being said to me. It was a message I myself would have said to myself. Yeah, of course, because you know, you're swimming in the same sea. It was yeah. sold to us 100% at mm-hmm. that time. That was the early 90s. Um, it was the message that was sold to us. I mean, my God, no bride is fat brides aren't fat no no brides are fat Mm. so I was sold this you know you must you know you'll regret it forever if you're fat in your wedding photographs and sometimes when I was thinking about this story that I had to tell I was thinking well if at that point I had thought actually I'm not slim I am fat I might as well be fat in my wedding photos because this is the person I am but that was 30 years too early for those feelings to actually yeah sure for me to actually acknowledge those feelings whereas that's where I am at now mm. so I think so and I, so again I was back on the Cambridge diet for I think three months before I got married um but literally five minutes after my wedding I had regained all of that and the rest so by the time we graduated in the November I was very very big again how yeah, did it was- feel after the pressure of that wedding day had past was yeah, it yeah yeah kind of yeah, like yeah absolutely, absolutely, free, absolutely did you feel kind of like a free-for-all like it was just kind yeah, of get absolutely. it all in. yes absolutely definitely I was like overeating overeating definitely and sort of normal I felt eating sort of kind, some kind of normality with eating um during all of this time so my latter years at university and during this time I my drinking was completely out of control as well I was drinking very 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 heavily um so, and then after university, we then bought our first pharmacy business. So we bought our first pharmacy and um, I was therefore running my own pharmacy, part of a chain of family businesses. I was then running my own pharmacy with my own staff by the age of 23. Wow. Now, that did not end well. Um the drinking and the food were completely out of control. I was so stressed. I didn't want to go to work. I hated every minute of it. I used to go out at lunchtime and not want to go back. I used to drive to work and want to just keep driving because I didn't want to go. I was just completely overwhelmed, totally overwhelmed. Um, I was very, very good at what I did. I was extremely good at what I did, but I was just too young to be doing that. Um, do you so, mind yeah. me asking at that point, how, at that point, do you remember how you felt about the behaviors that you had around food and how you felt about your bo- being in your body, the size of your body, how your body looked. I just felt complete and total and utter failure because I was in charge of this body by not trying hard enough. That's why my body looked like it did. I um, I have quite quite bad OCD. It's better now than it used to be. But everything has to be absolutely just so. Everything has to be absolutely perfect. Complete overachiever. Never failed at anything in my life absolute overachiever and therefore for me the body was just an absolute not only was it a failure it was a failure I couldn't hide you know I Mm. couldn't hide this failure it was a failure that everyone was it was look at the state of me I am a failure 
And I literally felt as if I spent, well, I've spent 40 years with a massive hammer hammering on the top of my head, going failure, 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 failure. You've succeeded, mm. you've got a degree, and retrained as a personal trainer. I'll tell you about that in a second. Retrained as a personal trainer, you've got a successful marriage, you're a successful business, you, you're a good family member. But I was just like, failure, 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 failure. I can really, I can really understand why you feel that way because of an earlier statement that you just said, I am in charge of this body. Yes. Oh yeah. Cause right. that's, how, that's how I was. I was I, until, until I started work with you, Jillian, that's how I felt. Yeah. Yeah. Until I, until I started work with you. So literally it's only been the last year or four months or maybe six months that I've actually thought, actually like um, Tamsin is five foot one. And I'm five foot five and a half. You know, I, I genuinely believed that that was absolutely, completely, totally changeable. I was in control of that. And it was my behaviours and my failure that mm. was making me fat. End of story. Do you so, think that added to your kind of, you were talking about you know, having that job at age 23 and running that business and everything, you felt such a, you know, you hated it. Do, how much of the feeling that you had there was kind of, driven by your like constant thinking about food and your weight and your body like was there a, I don't think you, it was healthy that was part of it I think because I think because I felt so so overwhelmed in in the business whereas I think if I had been slim and successful quote unquote in my body I think I would perhaps have had more brain space to actually be okay with my with my professional life mm-hmm. but all my brain space was taken up by thinking about losing weight I think yeah yeah, that's what kind of I wondered because I think yeah. that's quite common. Also, so, not yeah. just the amount of brain space, right? But when when our body, I've said this before, like a starved body is an anxious body, right? So mm-hmm. when our when our body is undernourished and um, there's not enough energy going in, we're anxious. So you're already starting before you even add on. You're 23. You're running a pharmacy. You um, are heading up a business with a team of staff before you even go down that route, you're starting from a place of anxiety. You're starting from a place of stress before any of that's even added on. So it makes sense that it was completely overwhelming. I've had five years of of that, of uh, running that business and just really the drinking getting worse and worse and worse. My, um, Tamsin, you don't know, but um, my alcoholism in the family. So, Mm. um, so yeah. So by the time I was, you know, in my late thir- late twenties, I was full blown, like functioning, very high functioning alcoholic, but a high functioning alcoholic, mm-hmm. um, and the food was just completely out of control. And I was smoking. I started smoking at university, I think, probably to control my weight, and I kept smoking. I was still smoking by the time I was thirty. Um, so I think you know, and those years were just awful. I mean, yeah, m- happily married. Um, that's never been a thing. I Stephen and I are just loves young dream and we always have been and we always will be so that was all very happy but the rest just wasn't so then of course we had the joy of starting thinking about starting a family so that's we, we went on holiday t- to America thinking oh we'll come off the pill and we'll come home pregnant <laughs> oh, yeah laughter laughter so that didn't happen so four lots of IVF later mm. which if you're already you know, your confidence is already in tatters because of your size. Um, and you're a high achiever, perfectionist, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that's never failed at anything. To suddenly feel that what the one most primeval thing that a woman can do 
felt just horrific to me. And I, um, I, yeah, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. And of course, during those years, you you guys will know, I'm sure, you, you know, from 20, sort of mid 20s to early 40s, during that whole time, friends and family were popping babies out literally faster than yeah. I could keep track of who was having another baby. Um, so those were not happy, happy years. Yeah. And of course, I think the, the doctor then eventually saying to Stephen and I, you know, we think you guys are unlikely to have a family, but we can't really tell you why. And then the, the sort of throwaway comment, oh, and it doesn't help that you're obese. Like, oh wow okay yeah. well actually I put on half a stone with every single round of IVF on top of all of the weight that I already had because of all the trauma mm-hmm. and yeah. the trauma I mean I yeah. asked somewhere recently that women who've been through IVF have actually often got PTSD and actually I mean Steve and I breezed through IVF because we were so together and we were absolutely fine and we did genuinely breeze through it compared to a lot and um, because we were totally together on what we wanted but it was really, really traumatic. It's yeah. really, unless anyone, unless you, I don't know if you guys have got any experience with that, unless you've actually been through IVF, it is truly traumatic. Yeah, you know, they put have, yeah. all you want in the entire world, in my case, was a baby girl. They put what you think is a baby girl inside you. And then you have to, and then the next thing you know, you've got a period and you're just, it's just mm. absolutely horrific. And it's, I a, it's also a very, because um, I have been through it myself a couple of times, it is a very, like, it, it, it is an anxious time. And it sounds like you had great support from your husband, but that doesn't take away from the anxiety that you're going through during all that time, like you say, you know, you're, you're, you think this is happening is get this, you know, the egg gets placed back in and you then wait, you're on that waiting, that two week wait, and it's so high stress mm-hmm. and the amount of um, drugs and interventions and checks and this, that, and the other and appointments and everything, trying to juggle work with all that. Yeah. Is oh yeah. Very stressful. That's it. I was, a, very I was stressful. a pharmacist. So I had to get locum cover if I needed to be off. Mm-hmm. So you'd say to the doctor, when do I need to be off? Oh, well, sometime that week we'll harvest eggs. Yeah, and they like, can't oh, tell that's you. That's helpful. Mm, you know, so it had all of that going on as well. Um, yeah. It's just, I'm also yeah. hearing from you that, you know, this trauma with IVF and what I heard you say was feeling like a failure, right? The, 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 I heard you say the one thing, you know, that a woman is quote unquote supposed know, to do and you that. feel yeah. like, feel like you failed at that and and that's on top of already this feeling of um shame and distrust in your body you're already starting from a place of me and my body are not on the same team my mm. body is um you know in your words you fa- you failed at controlling your body uh-huh. um and you're not you're not feeling at ease or feeling like your body is um on your side Yes. And then you go through this IVF and that sort of compounds that feeling, Absolutely. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think, you know, everybody everybody said, you know, you and Stephen would be the best parents, blah, blah, blah. And I think that was just so hard. And then, so I think about, so that was about 28, we started trying for a family. And I think we started IVF at about 30. And just before I started IVF, I had a total psychotic break with the alcoholism. Um, I was seeing things and hearing things and, you know, there was lights coming through the ceiling and um, et cetera. So it was pretty horrific. But in a way, it was good because, well, I wasn't sectioned, but they wanted to section me. So I wasn't sectioned. But um, so therefore I had to and did 
stop drinking at that point. So I've been sober for 23 years now. Um, so in a way, so that helped in a way. So I stopped drinking actually before the IVF started. Um, but of course, then you had all the IVF and your your crutch had been taken away. And I stopped smoking as well, obviously, because we're having IVF. So didn't drink, didn't smoke. So all your other kind of crutches had been taken away. Um, so therefore, food naturally to somebody I mean there's this there's nothing on this world that I have not at some point been addicted to um just totally I do genuinely believe in an addictive personality but all of a sudden the only thing left was food so therefore food became very very important and very very obsessive and you know almost eating too much became obsessive um I was going to say was the control was the control around was the obsession around like controlling how little you ate or like what, what did that look like? When you sort of say food obsession, you became a, you know, your addictive personality. I think the thing what is, was the... I think probably, I mean, I'd had, I'd also had a, a stint at a slim Scottish slimmers um, probably after I was married and before we started thinking about family, I'd had a stint at Scottish slimmers. And then, um, but I would say, no, I remember listening to you guys, Tamsin, particularly, you had said you had been on and off about 60 odd diets in your life. I think my entire life has been one big diet. Mm. I've never not been on a diet for 40 years. For 40 years, I've never not been on a diet. You know, I used to go to other people's houses where they had things like peanut butter on toast for a snack after school and think, oh my God, do, do normal people do this? Now, I met my husband and they had crinkle cut chips with their tea and then they had bread and butter and jam and then cakes. And I was thinking, I literally was thinking, is this like, is this normal? Is this what people do? You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, I feel as if my entire life has just been one big diet. I don't really, obviously I was on and off yeah. and that I was restricting and binging probably. Did you feel like it was just you then when you were like, you think this problem with food is literally my own. Like no one else suffers with this. This is not when you're sort of describing going to other people's houses and them just kind of almost eating freely in a way that you sort of ah, seemed yeah. very alien to you. Yeah, it was. Did you feel like you were literally the only person going through it? Is that how that felt? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously um, I've got one or two you know, friends who were maybe, actually, no, not when I was younger, not before I became a personal trainer. I did genuinely feel I was if I was the only person that, that had this. You know, I saw other people, quote, unquote, eating normally and thought, I just cannot in any way begin to relate to that sort of normal, free, relaxed eating mm-hmm. at it's all. A- It sounds like, though, for a lot of us, you know, I grew up in a household that wasn't particularly restrictive. I mean, it was in the 80s, so there were some, as you say, like low-fat everything. So there was that undercurrent, but it wasn't really a restrictive household. But as soon as I went out into the world as, you know, a teenager or young adult, I very clearly got the message that food restriction was a way of controlling your body but it sounds to me from what you're saying like actually your entire childhood you were raised in a culture of restriction because it sounds like there wasn't peanut butter on toast there wasn't cakes there wasn't anything like that in your house already like I don't I remember chocolate biscuits occasionally and there was always crisps under the under the um, stairs and stuff so there was food there and interestingly, my brother has a completely different take on how we were brought up in terms of food. 
Um, and I think it wasn't the early, my early childhood. I think it was definitely sort of from my puberty onwards that I remember more restriction. But then that could have been because I was putting on weight and therefore the restriction was for my own good mm. to help me, et cetera, et cetera. So actually, and John doesn't remember, my brother, sorry, my brother doesn't remember that because he wasn't, he was always very, very, very skinny as a child. And therefore he doesn't remember the same things I remember because he had a different experience. His lived experience of those years was different. Mm. So, so yeah. Um, but yeah. So, and then from 30 to, so 30 to 35, we were in the middle of IVF. And then one day having got really good antidepressants, probably for the first time ever, because I definitely my whole adult life suffered with depression. So having actually for the first time got a good antidepressant that actually worked, woke up one day and thought, I'm through with this. I'm done with this. Um, we have a lovely, lovely, lovely life. We love each other. We have a fabulous house, nice car, fabulous family, blah, blah. So we just, I thought, no. So we literally one day I woke up and started taking the pill again for a year to make sure we'd make the right decision and then took steps to not be able to have a family kind of, and then really didn't look back after that in terms of family because it changed the relationship with my nieces and nephews um, and became much, much, much closer to them. But, and then in my mid thirties, I got to stop work because I was lucky enough to be able to do that. And we actually sold the pharmacies and um, we went in a different direction with work, but it meant I could actually stop work and be a lady of leisure. But having gone full from full time with no kids to a lady of leisure, what did I do? I filled my entire life with dieting and exercise. Mm. You know, I would I would cycle to the juice bar in Brunsfield and have a juice and then I'd cycle to the, the swimming pool and do 60 lengths and then I'd come back and have a run. So that was all triathlon training. And, you know, and by the time I was 40, I was super skinny and the exercise had become a thing as well as the food. Mm-hmm. so controlling food and and massively hours and hours and hours a day I used to spend exercising um, so it's like now you finally had the time to dedicate uh-huh. it sounds the like it finally then oh yeah it finally became a full-time project yeah. uh-huh. a part-time <laughs> yeah. project yes yeah. absolutely and I did the, and I think and during all those years I had the whole you know Jason Vale the juice master and I juiced you know, celery every day. And, you know, I was, um, and I was probably actually orthorexic tendencies at that point, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, and I'm trying to think sort of between 40 and what happened then. Oh, yes. Can, so I, can I just ask when you were at that point of um, full-time, you know, project fix it, and you were this, I think you'd said the slimmest that you, you'd ever ever been how did you feel about yourself at that point in time was there a sense of like moral virtue because you were finally quote-unquote doing all the right things because you had time to dedicate to it and you were seeing the results what was life tired right yeah I was tired and fearful and did it ever feel good enough no never and it was, t- I was tired and fearful because I was exhausted because I was doing so much exercise and I wasn't eating enough. Mm-hmm. And I was constantly fearful because of the ingrained fat phobia that we, that again, it's another subject for, for later on that we are tackling, Jillian. But I was, I was constantly fearful. For, so for goodness sake, how could I possibly stop any of this hamster feel of my life that I was doing? Because if I did, I would, I would get fat again. And then that is the worst possible thing that anyone can be. So I was exhausted and fearful. 
I wasn't you were fearful of taking any rest or just taking any time off from yeah, this kind yeah. of schedule that you'd built for yourself. Yeah. Mm. So that was really so. And so, and then, so when I was 40 um, and the recession happened and it was, we'd have been handy to start earning money again. And um, I, of course, as all um, people do, I trained as a personal trainer because I thought I can do this. I can get paid for this. I can do all the stuff that I do anyway, and I can get paid for it. So I retrained as a personal trainer and worked from home. And actually, I loved it. I was really good at it. Um, but most of my clients were older. And actually, it was mostly therapy rather than actual hardcore. Mm. Um, and I loved that. And I did that for um, 11 years till I retired. Um, but yeah, but during all that time, I was fat um, for a lot of it. And I felt, again, it was just that you're a personal trainer, but you're fat. What on earth are you thinking? My goodness, you're such a failure, 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 failure. You know, and yeah. So, and then I, and then I had the, I discovered um, Slimming World. Oh, the joys of Slimming World. So I decided my husband and I's silver wedding anniversary was coming up. So I decided, right, that's it. I'm not going to be fat for my silver. Because, I mean, again, a bit like the wedding photographs. You don't want to be fat for your silver wedding photographs. <laughs> It's always there's always a milestone isn't there a birthday a celebration an anniversary a wedding it's like something it's always something to get into project fix it it's Mm -hmm. like there's Mm -hmm. and of course me being me so I started slimming world and I am just I am so good and on it and I every single sin every single sin everything I was on it 24 7 I mean and again actually speaking to people now interestingly about those days in in advance of this podcast the the things people have to say about how I was is actually quite alarming what did oh, that's they say? really interesting Karen there was what was somebody once said I think my friend said to me there was no room in that relationship for anybody except you in Slumming World it was wow. a uh, it was a monogamous relationship between wow. Slumming World um, and course, I, I was, and I think the thing is because I've done so much nutritional, I really, 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 really know my stuff nutritionally because I did it from a job, but also because I've always been fat and I've always been interested in why I was fat. Um, and so things, you know, I could, I could have run the class in my sleep. Um, you know, the lady, you know, the, the leader was like, "Oh, now you can't have bananas. You can't, you have, you can't eat. You can eat a banana, but you can't smoothie it. You have to sin it." And she didn't know why. And of course, I knew why, because the sugars are more readily available, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I knew all the answers to all this stuff. Yeah. And I lost weight week after week after week after week. I lost, you know, exactly what I was supposed to do. And I got star of the week again and again and again. And I was on it 24-7. Um, and then eventually got to my target weight, one woman of the year, blah, blah, blah. Felt amazing because I could buy clothes just without even thinking about it. And then I thought, I'm at the top of this massive mountain peak, balancing on my tiptoes like a ballerina <laughs> to stay here. What am I supposed to do now? So, wow. and I realized looking through my diary, again, in the Slimming World days, looking through my diary, all I had was red flags. Mm-hmm. Lunch with so-and-so. Oh my God, I don't want to do that. Lunch mm-hmm. with the family. Like, how am I going How am I going to do that? Oh, um, a weekend away with Stephen. Oh, that's a nightmare. I'll never get to my target weight if I keep having weekends away. Holidays. Oh, nightmare. You know, that's Stephen cool. and I, we are so, so, so lucky. We've traveled the world. We are so fortunate. Um, and all of these holidays that I have, which are fantastic holidays, the girls at Slumming were like, oh, but can it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And But ours weren't. They were 
regular all the time so yeah. I couldn't go on holiday and, and 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 not diet so every single one of my travel memories um from um you know having fish in Sydney at the opera house and having murtabak in Singapore and having Thai in Hawaii and you know having lobster in Maine every single one of my travel food memories everyone is tinged with must not eat must not eat must not eat that's all I can remember of the travel food did it hugely affect your choices what were you like on holiday did you kind of have this like I'm going to try and stick as close to the plan whilst eating out so I would modify my choices or were you kind of it sounds like you maybe were there or were you kind of like blow it and I'll just kind of get back on it when I get back which sort of or did you flip between two order order what I want you what wanted I never never ever 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 did the whole I'm just going to blow it thing because that just wasn't ever I think I would look down my nose at people like that as something where I was like, oh, wow. fancy letting yourself go to that, to put on all that weight on your holidays. That's just obviously no self. Moral failing. I was on my actual high horse. My high horse was so high. I'm surprised wow. I didn't get mm. But so on holiday, all I can remember is ordering things, but then trying not to eat anything. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. I, would, I would try not to eat any of it. Um, and then realizing once it did eventually attain the unattainable of your target weight, then realizing that um, I, that was great. I looked amazing. I couldn't do anything at all, ever, because if I did, yeah. if I ate that fruit pastel, I would be ping back to, you know. And then I think, and then we went on holiday to the States, actually, for about, um, I think we're away for three, maybe three weeks. Um, we did great white shark diving and stuff like that. It was fab. But um, I put on most of what I had lost in the year and a half of constant, endless, 24 hours a day struggle. Mm -hmm. I literally put on two thirds of what I'd lost in that holiday. Mm -hmm. And that was while being in the States and being careful. I didn't eat anything in the States. Mm -hmm. I wasn't like, oh, happy days, let's just, because I'm at my target weight. Not at all. I literally was on it. I was Mm -hmm. like, I can't, I'll have a bite of that cookie. I'll have a bite of that mac and cheese. I'll Mm -hmm. have a bite of that barbecue brisket. Can I ask you when you were at your kind of go away and your thinnest, was your mindset a case of like, yes, this is the body that I was always meant to have. This is the, this is my true body. This is my natural body. Life's going to be great from, from now on. Did you have an understanding that what it took to get there was going to have to be your life forever? Um, Because I think Tam's and you'd experience was like this, this body that I've got now, this is not sticking around. Like, this isn't really my body. I kind of went through phases of feeling like, yeah, this is my body. Surely, like all default bodies when you're taking care of yourself are thin. So this is, this is the body I was always meant to have. And then I kind of like relaxed my rules, right? And then my body changed um, back to what it was actually meant to be. I'm interested what you thought your actual body was. I think perhaps what I thought then and what I think now. So I think what I thought then was I don't think I I don't think I thought at all. Mm. I think what I thought felt then was I am not going to think I've got blinkers on. I am not going to think at all about what I have to. Do. I mean, and talk about disordered eating behaviors. The bulimia had come back. Um, to get to my target weight, I hadn't eaten anything at all for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to mention what I was doing with all sorts of other things. So to, again, if I had if I had been very, 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 very thin, 
at that point, I would have been in a clinic with a psychiatrist and an an eating disorder therapist. But because I wasn't thin, nobody Mm. was doing that exactly as you read in the books. Nobody looks at you and thinks you've got an eating disorder because you're fat. And I guess you probably didn't think you had one either. Oh, no, I do. I think I did. I did. I thought this behavior was not normal. But it was like anything that I had to do to get to where I wanted to get to. Because again, it's overachieving. It's the perfectionist. You know, I will do this and I will have control. But of you my just body. accepted it as part of the way to get to being where you wanted to be with yeah. your body. And I think like, I mean, you've been there. You sound like you've been there as well, Townsend. You don't think past the day you stand on those scales and it says congratulations you have made you have made the grade you are perfect you have absolutely done this you've nailed it you don't think past that day you don't think to mm. all right okay what am I supposed to eat tomorrow and but I you think you carry think, on forever I think you think in your mind that you're just going to eat in that way forever like and I've heard that said before especially particularly about Slimming World a lot of people say um, it, I just could just eat like this all the time. Like I can just go back to it and I can just kind of, it. it's how I would eat normally. And I, which obviously it isn't, but people do convince themselves of that. Yeah. They, they don't, or they think that they're just going to get down to that weight and then they're just going to eat like like a quote unquote normal person from yeah. then on. And that's huh. what the problem is. But like you've said, you know, your body, even when you weren't eating anything, was still gaining weight, well, even no. though you were moderating what you were and eating. And I never, and again, like in that. the whole slimming world, I never did what they told you to do. I never ate any of that carbohydrate, or I didn't do any of that, and like, at all. I think mm. that's the hidden side of those kind of slimming clubs, is that the people who are held up as being successful because of that diet, if you really dig into what you, like you were just saying, if you really dig, because I was exactly the same. Uh-huh. I was not on a Slimming World diet. I was on several diets at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, exercising massively. I was really not following that plan in the way that they say, because I couldn't, because I couldn't have lost the weight had I followed it no, no, what they exactly. said, because it doesn't, it didn't, yeah. that wasn't the thing. It. And I think there's a hidden thing there that people don't talk about very often. Agreed. So I think if you all for another episode. Yeah, if we all rose up and actually said, actually, I got Women of the Year, but actually it was the Karen Murray diet. It wasn't actually the Slimming World mm. diet. Exactly, mm. but we don't want to admit it. And I think there's so much shame there and there's so much what we don't want to admit at all. And we're so bought into these clubs and these diets. They're very, um, I don't know what the word is. They're just... Culty. You know, that, Culty. Yeah, we're just, yeah. <laughs> Insidious. Yeah. Insidious. very bought into the whole idea it, of it. It also really speaks, Karen, from what I'm, I'm hearing about what you're saying is as a perfectionist as a high achiever as someone who's very educated it's like I can outsmart this body if I know enough if I I if I learn enough if I absorb this information I can live in this way according to everything that you've learned in order to override a body that you see as wrong or unattractive or Or essentially, what I'm actually hearing is not just wrong and unattractive, but a broad, a a public broadcast of failure. Mm. And it sounds like for you, that was just absolutely never going to be something that you could stomach. No, no, absolutely not. It wasn't. And of course, I think I I read and read and read and read and read because I kept thinking that I would find the answer. Mm -hmm. Well, demonize sugar, sugar, not having sugar will be the answer or not having carbs will be the answer or and I read and read and read and I know my 
I know my TMOs from my from my um, uh, phosphor fruit to kinase. I mean, I literally read, you know, I was like, oh, that's why we're all obese because we don't have enough phosphor fruit to kinase and it's high fructose corn syrup. I mean, I, honestly, I could I could write that, you know, I could write for years about it. So, but in a way, that was what's good because it brought me to you guys. So actually- So catch us up and tell it, us how you got to this. Yeah, I'm really curious so, now. <laughs> so, so that was, um, so where did I get to? So- yeah, so um, I was then 49 and I uh, needed to have, uh, and still, and so I'd, by that point, I'd put on a lot from Slimming World, but I was still quite comfortable-ish with my size. I still wouldn't have liked to have had my photo taken, but I wasn't too bad with my size. And I was 49 and needed to have a, a full hysterectomy. So I had a full hysterectomy, had and ended up with a belly shelf, so hanging over a very big scar. Um, and I think perhaps that, so whatever happened, however thin I got, I was never really going to be perfect again. So I think that along with being 50 and also a lot of client, ex- my client experience. I mean, I had clients, I had a lady in her 70s and she used to struggle, 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 never lost any weight ever. And she used to come in and do a food diary for me. And she would actually count and weigh carrots to put into soup. You know, carrots, eight calories, you know, leeks, 10 calories. And I think probably that, the belly shelf that I got from my hysterectomy, turning 50. And I just thought, I'm not doing this anymore. I am not doing this anymore. And at that point, I would say, I... (laughs) <laughs> I stopped restricting, but started fasting. So in order to be able to stop dieting, I stopped eating at different times of the day. So I wouldn't eat all day at all in order to eat a quote unquote normal meal at night. So in I started mind, that fasting thing. thing. I've not, I'm not dieting anymore. Yes. You so I'm not dieting anymore. Restriction. Yeah. So I'm not dieting anymore. I'm just going to do the fasting thing. Because I had found, I'd listened to a guy in Canada, um, I'd followed a trainer in Canada who was big into fasting. So I got into fasting and I read all about that because this was going to be the answer for me to make me not have to diet and be able to eat what I want was basically to fast. Not So I obviously at that point, I definitely didn't think of the fasting as dieting. As a diet. <laughs> no, I didn't for whatever reason. But then... Like, I'm not going to diet, I'm just not going to eat. Yeah, so then this guy... He did, this guy did a year-long odyssey, he called it, and he said, what would happen if I did all the things as a trainer I tell people to do? So he said, if I don't drink, don't smoke, don't take drugs, do exercise, make every single thing I eat from scratch, meditate daily, journal daily, cold shower daily, um, et cetera, et cetera. What would happen if I do all that for a year? So he did it for a year and podcasted about it. And I and he, and he um, I listened to all his podcasts and I was drinking the Kool-Aid, but it wasn't Kool-Aid, it was organic kombucha, obviously. So I was on it. I was literally about as orthorexic and fasting as a person can be. Um, and then it just got so tiring. Oh no, I know what happened then. He then decided after a couple of years of all his followers following this he then said actually I really really and he called it he called he 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 marketed this odyssey as the Mm anti-diet this is the anti-diet so I was on it I was on it anti-diet 
um, orthorexia out every every um so and then about a year or a year and a half into that and I was making my own bread making my own crackers meditating journaling it was exhausting it was absolutely Sounds exhausting, exhausting. Sounds um, exhausting. and I was like oh I can't possibly eat that ready meal because it's got additives and I have to make everything so and then what happened was he announced that he would be letting his clients down if he didn't realize that they all wanted to lose weight so he was going to launch a weight loss program mm-hmm having done yeah. this anti-diet thing. And that's when I just I actually felt slightly betrayed. And I know that sounds a bit pathetic. No, that sounds no, that absolutely not, that spot pathetic on. I, sounded, yeah. I felt betrayed. I thought, I've followed you and I've done all this stuff. And, and you've told me that my body's okay and that it's all all right and it's okay to... And then all of a sudden you're saying, actually, I realise that you all want to lose weight, so I'm going to launch a, a diet programme. And I, and, I, and, and I know that that was literally the point at which I just tumbled um, because I felt... Like everything that I had been working towards had been pulled away. Mm. Can um, you then tell us how you discovered anti-diet through a fat positive lens, through a health at every size lens, like Tamsin and I talk about? What what led you to that work? What made you curious about it? And what really made you think, I want to dive deeper into this? I think so when I was, so um, I moved to the borders and at that point, I definitely decided I was going to stop dieting. And I had to just, I think I read somewhere yesterday the phrase, um, we'll always love you um, regardless. And I think I decided at that point that I was going to learn to love myself regardless of the size I was. Um, I am going to work the magic that I do with everything else in my life. And I'm going to learn to love myself despite the fact that I'm fat. Um, so I started that, started eating a bit more. I had lunch and dinner um, and I was definitely, definitely not dieting, eat cakes every day and all the rest of it. Um, and I was going to learn to love myself. Um, so that all started maybe maybe 18 months ago, something like that. But all the way through all of that, I was constantly aware that you're just in denial. You are in denial. One day you are going to wake up. I was catastrophizing into the future. One day you are going to wake up and you're going to think, oh my God, what have you to look at the state of yourself? You might as well just die because you are so awful. Um, and I think probably, actually, I was thinking about it. What happened was I then Googled anti-diet to go back to the Canadian guy because I thought, okay, fine, I'll do the diet. I'll, I'll, you know, get back on board and I'll do his diet. And then I found you guys. Oh, I love that. You know what? I listened to your early podcasts and I actually thought you guys, it was literally like all of a sudden somebody told me it was okay. Mm-hmm. So I listened to your story and so I suppose I sort of started the work of not dieting. I started the work of loving myself, but almost when I found you guys accidentally by looking for, for the guy in Canada, mm-hmm. as with everything in life, everything in life is supposed to happen for a reason. You meet yeah. people at certain times for a reason. Things come into your life at certain times for a reason. And I think you guys, when I found you and then you said to read health at every size, mm-hmm. which I did. And then when I, and that was on a holiday, so I started eating breakfast, lunch and tea on that holiday, um, mechanically eating breakfast, lunch and tea. Um, and then I came back from that holiday and contacted Gillian and started seeing Gillian. Um, 
And yet, and the rest is is history. Well, it's not really history, it's definitely a work in progress. Because- Can I just interject there and say, just wind back a, a minute, what I found really, really interesting that you were saying, and I think it speaks to the previous approach of quote-unquote anti-diet and the work that we're doing now is this phrase of I'm going to learn to love myself despite my fat body yes and what that what that absolutely names in that sentence is my fat body is a problem Mm. your internalized fat phobia Mm -hmm. but despite that despite that problem despite that quote-unquote failing I'm going to learn to love myself and that's what's changed and that's what's changed. That's yeah, what no, I, I was about yeah, to say. I don't like, feel like that you, anymore. You kind of nailed what what the 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 stumbling block was back there, right? Yeah. I literally feel as if I literally feel as if I have found the holy grail, and I'm I, I, I can't I can't tell you that too much. I feel as if I've found the holy grail that oh. I've discovered. Yeah. I, I, uh-huh. I'm interested to know that because that is that is incredible being able to do that work and sit with that like you say there's there, it is work you have to go through these oh, uh, you know go through the motions but what would you say to anyone else who's listening to this who was at the start of that kind of exploring anti-diet exploring you know wanting to feel better in their body wanting to be you know more accepting of themselves what would you say to anyone else in that position back where you were then what what would your advice I to think them? you need to just you do genuinely need to trust trust in the program, if you like. And it's not a program, I get that. But you need to, to trust that this will, will run its course and that everything will be okay. And then, because I think the hardest sell for any of this is that nobody knows where you're going to end up. Hmm. You may end up really big. You may end up slimmer than you are. Nobody knows. But by taking that away from being a thing, by that not being a goal... That's just not in your control. You don't know what's going to happen and you need to be okay with that. And if you're genuinely can be okay with that, then the rest of this just happens. Mm, you know, don't yeah. demonize, you know, don't demonize food. <laughs> don't restrict in any way. And I went through, I very much went through the, the, the phases of when I was starting mechanically eating at the beginning, breakfast, lunch, tea, breakfast, lunch, tea, breakfast, lunch, tea my hunger woke up with like a screaming baby within a week of starting eating regularly. And I'd, I'd not felt hungry for years, years and years and years. I hadn't felt hungry. I never felt hungry. And then this woke up with a vengeance when I started eating, but then gradually, gradually that settled down. Mm. And I would say again, at the, in the early days, I would think, Oh, oh, I'll just have a bit of chocolate when I'm going past the fridge. Oh no, I better not. I don't really want chocolate. Oh, is that restricting? I better not restrict. I better have it. I don't of overthinking. So I went through all of that. But now I would say in the last couple of weeks, so this is maybe sort of six months in, I genuinely now, and actually I had lunch with a friend yesterday who said, I can't believe you are obviously so relaxed around food now compared to what you were before. It's 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 actually almost unbelievable. That's um, amazing. So, but it's, what I was trying to describe to a friend yesterday was, it's like you're hanging on to the edge of a crumbling cliff with your bleeding fingernails. And you think, I cannot put on any more weight because if I do, I am falling off this cliff and my entire life will end because of all of our fat phobia. And you need to let go of the cliff. 
you will go through a massive waterfall where you won't know which way's up, you won't be able to breathe, it'll all seem wrong, it's all completely out of control. But you land at the bottom in this serene lake and think, why didn't people tell me this lake was here 40 years ago? I could have discovered 40 years ago that this lake of peace and tranquility was here if I just had the courage to let go of the waterfall and fall into this lake I love that I think that is I think that is the perfect place to end this episode because I think that is absolutely amazing Karen I have loved listening to your story well, so thank you so much not let you sharing guys talk hardly no, no, you don't need to that's the whole point that's the whole point um it's you know this is exactly what people need to hear and they, and you're I'm just so grateful for you to be being so open and honest with your story and sharing that with us because you know undoubtedly that will help somebody and that is the aim of this podcast yeah, well, that's if I could so even help one person. I'm away now to make a rhubarb and custard birthday cake with popping candy on the top. Lovely, <laughs> that's Enjoy. Thanks, well, thank Karen. You. And I'll speak to you again soon. Thank you so much thank for having you. me. Thank you. Okay, bye. bye. We hope you enjoyed that conversation. Karen's journey is so interesting. We wanted to do a part two. So coming up on the podcast, we're going to be doing a part two where Karen talks about. Um, her journey with food and body and recovery and what that's like going through the process and actually being coached through this stuff on intuitive eating, body neutrality, and learning more about herself and what she wanted to achieve with this journey. So we are going to be doing that in a couple of weeks time. So make sure you subscribe, follow so that you get notified when that comes out.